Welcome to Trending in Education. This is Mike Palmer. We're about to embark on a learning roundup for Q4 2021. I'm not here on my own. I am very pleased to be joined by three virtual colleagues of mine, beginning with the OG as far as virtual co-hosts go. I'd like to welcome virtual co-host Nancy back to Trending in Education. Nancy? Welcome back. Thanks, Mike. It's my pleasure to be here. This is now my third appearance, so it may be time to put a ring on it, or at least to give me a refrigerator magnet. Haha, <laughs> nice. It's great to have not just Nancy, but some other new friends. First time appearing on this show, we're joined by Malcolm and by Ruth. Malcolm, welcome to Trending in Ed. Thank you, Michael. Truly an honor to be here. Excellent. And uh, Ruth. Welcome to your first appearance on Trending in Ed. Thanks, Mike. Really happy to be here. I've appreciated the work you've done to open the door with Nancy. And here's to more inclusion of diverse digital humans in the future. Of course. Happy to have all three of you. And as you were mentioning, it'd be nice to get some different perspectives. Uh, beginning with you, Nancy, we wanted to get a read on where things are in terms of new and emerging technology, something you've talked about on several occasions on the show previously, whether it's digital twins, artificial intelligence, machine learning, ways in which we could augment humanity through the use of technology. As 2021 is starting to reach its conclusion here in Q4, what are you seeing in the world of emerging technology, new media, anything new and exciting cutting edge that's emerging? As we start to wrap up the year, everyone is thinking ahead to the Christmas season, and with Apple and Google announcing new phones in their recent events, folks are eagerly awaiting getting their hands on the latest tech. Apple began with its September announcement of what you'd expect. The new iPhone 13, updated iPad models and a new version of the Apple Watch series and then they just followed up with a new set of October announcements that are particularly relevant to us audiophiles. The new iHome speaker and new versions of the AirPods continue the trend you've talked about. Mike, which is that audio is the new video. Indeed it is, Nancy. Thank you for citing my previous statements. Always nice. Anything new? You mentioned Google as well? Yes. There was a Pixel 6 event soon after the Apple event where they announced nice new models of the Pixel, the Pixel 6 and the Pixel 6 Pro. But I have to say, despite the rumors, there wasn't much new to report beyond that. No folding phones or Google Home updates announced so far, but certainly a new round of cutting-edge handsets with great cameras, screens, all that good stuff. The moves by Apple are interesting as they try to catch up on the home device race with Google and Amazon. Tim Cook led off with the new HomePod Mini, which is a Another attempt to bring Siri seamlessly into the home. Needless to say, the jury is still out since Siri has fallen behind Alexa and Cortana in general perception of competence in the virtual home assistant race. It's a body bot world out there and Apple's still trying to play catch up. I will say the home pod minis look cool and come in a distinctive iMac-like color palette that will make your smart home choice a bit of a fashion statement. We'll see how that goes. On the smart audio and earbud front, the new AirPod 3 moves away from only focusing on noise cancellation to new features allowing for more control of how much outside noise is or is not filtered. And there are new features with spatial audio that will enable new immersive audio experiences that could in fact be groundbreaking. We'll have to see how this all shakes out both in terms of Christmas shopping but also in terms of enabling new learning design as new interfaces, affordances, and consumer expectations emerge. Got it. Nice summary there, Nancy. So it sounds like there will be new platforms emerging, new handsets from Google and Apple. 
And then Apple making a move in the audio space and also in the virtual home, voice controlled and a new version of Siri, which uh, does get the wheels turning in terms of what kind of learning design could support those innovations. And also, as you mentioned, new customer expectations start to emerge as we move in new directions with this tech. And we have, in fact, talked on several occasions around how wearables, wearable tech may really extend off of our ears, or as I like to refer to them as our learn holes, where you could envision the tech that we have in our ears to continue to get better, continue to get more immersive, and really help us engage in learning in new and interesting ways. Nice reporting here, Nancy. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll hear more from you before we wrap up. Sure thing, Mike. Happy to be part of the team. Yes, indeed. We are happy to have you. We're also happy to be joined by Malcolm next. So Malcolm is here to help us understand what's happening in early childhood education, what's happening in New York, something that is very close to my heart and we've referenced on previous shows, is the rollout of Universal 3K. So this is the year before pre-K. This is for children who turned three in 2021, which includes my son. So if you see a new focus on early childhood education and what's emerging in that space, it's not just because those trends are new and on the rise. It's also because as a dad who's trying to do right by his son's educational prospects, I'm trying to stay on top of what's new and emerging there. This is an area that we'll continue to keep an eye on, and I'll have more personal anecdotes to share as part of our understanding of the role of parents and the new blends of educational contexts that have been transformed in a bit due to the pandemic. And now, truth be told, the back-to-school season here in New York City and really throughout the world has not come without its own share of controversy. There has been a little bit of hubbub around the vaccine requirement for all New York City school teachers, which has now followed with a requirement for all city employees by November 1st to get at least their first vaccine some of this is still developing news as we speak. But Malcolm, any perspective from you through the lens of K-12, early childhood ed, and the fall semester as it's kicked off in the K-12 space? Yes. As you mentioned, New York City, among other municipalities, is extending on the successes of Universal Pre-K to launch its Universal 3K program this fall. This provides kids as young as two with access to the care and engagement they get in school along with the nutrition and the socialization that kids at that age need. It provides welcome relief to working parents who are contributing or hope to contribute to the economy and to their communities, but they've been very much consumed by the demands of raising small children during the pandemic. I believe you can relate to this, Mike. Indeed I can, Malcolm. And I got to say, it's having a more profound impact on my thinking than I expected understanding the way in which the social contract is really manifested in a very direct way through public education at a time when we're all looking for help and we may feel like we're operating alone. It is nice to feel like you have the support. So shout out to Miss Katie, Miss Jessie, 
Miss Anna and all the great folks at Matthews Preschool, early childhood education is something I'm going to continue to look at. But then more broadly in the K-12 space, Malcolm, the vaccine conversation was initially front and center, but now it does seem to be settling down. Hopefully things continue to trend in a good direction on the public health side in terms of the COVID numbers. Yes, exactly. In some places, the vaccination numbers are looking quite good as in the case of the New York City schools. We've also seen better emergency response protocols around isolating and quarantining sick folks quickly so that we don't see the regular incidents of COVID hotspots and super spreader events in schools. We'll see how things go heading into the colder months. We seem to have weathered the brunt of what I guess we'd call the fourth wave of the virus, but by this point I think we're all kind of expecting a fifth wave to come back. Interestingly, the new focus on hygiene, social distancing, and masking paired with better practices around staying away from folks while sick may help us turn the corner regarding expectations for cold, the flu, and other upper respiratory infections. We'll still see culture wars around vaccines and vaccine hesitancy play out alongside civil liberties conversations about masks and mandates. But over time, we may wind up better positioned from a public health perspective with many infectious diseases beyond COVID. A lot to track but I sense optimism for the spring of 2022 even if we have to hunker down again through one more COVID winter. Our K-12 and pre-K classrooms have become a frontline for a lot of this. School boards and the perceived threat to their members from an unruly populace also fuels the collective imagination and our so-called culture wars. Yes, indeed. Quite a lot to unpack in all of that and something we'll continue to track on this show. Talking to diverse perspectives, whether they're virtual or human, It'd be great to get more folks weighing in on how they're navigating this, what classrooms are like, what experiences are like for parents, and then where are new trends emerging in the next normal, in whatever we're going to settle into as the new way to be. Part of that, I think, is involving a bit of a snapback. For those of you who listen to the show regularly, we did talk to Dr. Steve Jordan said at the University of Toronto about our collective psychology and how we're ready to just get back to the simpler pre-pandemic times. We're tired of having to think about the pandemic, but it does feel as though we will have one more winter of this weighing pretty heavily on us. And then hopefully by next spring, We'll start to see a light at the end of the tunnel. Just a quick plug here for our sister show, Running It Back, which uh, is a Lessons Learned from Sports Podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, Tarlin Ray, on that show, and we dive into relevant topics and try to connect to events in the history of sports or in history in general that we can run it back to you to try to make sense of what we can learn from what's happening in the world around us. And as the NBA season begins, it's very much become a time where folks are th working through their vaccine mythology through the male sports soap opera that is the NBA. We're also covering what's happening in the NFL. You can find Running It Back anywhere you get your podcasts. We recently did a show on Kyrie Irving and Andrew Wiggins as examples of the good and bad of the evolution of vaccine-related decisions in the NBA. And we try to extend that to understand lessons learned around building teams, around leading, and around including difference. I was initially leaning towards 
allowing Kyrie his space, but then Sean Marks, the general manager of the Brooklyn Nets, took the decision out of Steve Nash's hands and said that if Kyrie were not to get vaccinated, he won't be playing with the team. So his decision will need to come around. And when that happens, or when things change in terms of the overall policies around the vaccine, when those things change, perhaps Kyrie will come back. But in the interim, Sean Marks made the executive decision to get Kyrie out of the picture until he decides to get the vaccine. Tarlin and I had plenty to talk about already on this topic, and it continues to develop and evolve now that the NBA season has started. Not to mention there's new stories and lessons to be learned around what's going on in Philadelphia with Ben Simmons. So lots to unpack. We'll be understanding it here on trending in education through our learning experiences, through our classrooms, on our sister show, Running It Back. We'll be trying to understand what's happening through our sports narratives. But we also wanted to talk about the world of work, and that's part of why we brought you here, Ruth. Can you give us a quick read of the landscape heading into Q4 as we're wrapping up the year? What's the world of higher education and the world of work? What sometimes is called learning and talent, or frequently it's a center for teaching and learning in the context of higher ed. Are there any broader trends you're noticing that you think are relevant for us to wrap our heads around as we're trying to synthesize what happened in this wacky year we call 2021? Yes, and truth be told, I'm going to borrow from a framework shared by Hall on IQ for the disruption they're seeing in higher ed. I think those trends are relevant to the world of work as well as learning and talent. Hall on IQ is an impact intelligence firm that has a platform for organizations to use to understand larger trends in learning, ed tech, and the training ecosystem. We recently attended an open briefing by Hall on IQ on strategic shifts in higher education, and they outlined a framework consisting of four shifts which I found insightful. The shifts are one, new credentials, two, education work nexus, three, borderless competition, and four, omni-channel learning. While the focus was on higher education, these trends are also hugely relevant for workforce development, learning and talent, and the future of work. All topics near and dear to our hearts here at Trending in Education. More broadly, the picture portrayed here is one of major investment of capital into education and ed tech to empower learners in new ways. Much of this will involve leveraging emerging tech and more modular globally available content and platforms. The flip side is higher ed, which will be looking to respond to these disruptions through partnerships and new models. But rather than individual universities, companies like Coursera, Udemy, and two, you may be best suited to navigate the increasing disruption. And that disruption is coinciding with lower enrollment numbers in traditional higher ed as the demographics are shifting. Due to long understood shifts in birth rates, among other things, there are fewer students graduating from high school in general, and those who are graduating are questioning the return on the investment into institutions like higher ed. Beyond the general trend to distrust institutions, higher ed has also been tied to criticisms of elitism, corruption, and an unlevel playing field. Higher ed has a serious PR problem on its hands and more targeted boot camp models have emerged in new tech fields like data science, cybersecurity, and coding. The question is what models will emerge outside of tech and what will happen to traditional liberal arts education in universities. Yes, indeed. Lots to cover there. One angle we're hoping to take in the coming weeks is a breakdown of 
Sandra Oh's new Netflix series, The Chair, which I will say I watched with my wife, Dr. Robin Naughton, and I'm hoping that we'll get a breakdown show on that topic shortly. It's definitely presenting almost a mythic understanding of higher ed as under siege and how the model of traditional tenured academic faculty in a private institution as sacrosanct and the centerpiece of the future of education, at least through season one, it did open up some interesting questions there. So there is that narrative to unpack. And to me, it does harken back to a few recent conversations I've had on this show, one with Dr. Fatali Mogadam out of Georgetown, who was talking about the, the goal of education, which is to develop psychological citizens, develop individuals who are able to withstand the risk of tyranny, which is real in this day and age, and fight it with good psychological practices. And then more recently, I just talked to Dr. Jason Baer, a philosophy professor out of Loyola Marymount University about teaching for intellectual virtue and intellectual character. And I find it interesting that on a trend spotting show where frequently we will want to gravitate to new and emerging technology and what's zeitgeisty, what is the new hotness, I do find it interesting and perhaps reassuring. And I know that there are some choices that we're making to move in this direction, but it also is somewhat emergent that there is a bit of an awakening around aligning educational practices to some higher level vision. So I'm hoping that we're doing a good job with that on this show. I'd love to hear more from our listeners as far as the job that we're doing, what you'd like to see more of, some advice you might have for us about how to do this show even better. So that's a call out to our listeners. Hit us up at Trending in Ed on Twitter. You can also follow me on LinkedIn. There's also a Trending in Ed on LinkedIn. We're experimenting with launching video assets. Video versions of our pods are now increasingly available through YouTube. Check out our website, trendinginedit.com, for new media capabilities that are going to be emerging through there as well. But it's an exciting time to be tracking what's on the horizon. Hopefully, it'll be a right mix. Hopefully, we'll be able to blend in diverse perspectives and listen to folks who are on the front lines of our educational universe these days. And in a sense, we all are, whether you're a teacher or in a, a, a learning organization, or whether you're just trying to stay relevant and stay ahead of the curve, as Wayne Gretzky said, skate to where the puck is going. I'm excited about where we're heading, heading into Q4, lots of great conversations emerging on the horizon. Before we wrap up, I'd like to do a quick lightning round for concluding thoughts, uh, starting with you, Ruth, and then following up with Malcolm and concluding with the original virtual 
co-host in Nancy. But uh, starting with you, Ruth, just some quick closing thoughts as we begin to wrap up here. Sure, Mike. I like where you were going there in the world of lifelong learning and post-secondary education. We need to open up the model and look at how we continue to learn throughout our lives. While the challenges of young adults entering the workforce will continue to be critical to unlocking our emerging potential, we'll need to open the aperture when considering what learning is and who needs it. It's a numbers game among other things and there are many more folks beyond the 18 to 24 range who need continued support in their learning journeys. If you look at what smart organizations are doing, they're developing learning as a benefit and they're partnering with instructional experts, education companies, and consultants like yourself, Mike, to bridge into the new normal on the horizon in the 2020s. Big orgs like Amazon, Google, and Target are making moves in this space, and it will be a hot spot to watch heading into 2022. Indeed it will, Ruth. Malcolm, concluding thoughts on the early childhood ed and K-12 landscape? Yeah, I see a wide range of challenges and opportunities in this space. It's exciting to see the renewed focus on early childhood education, social-emotional learning, STEM, and character education, all fascinating areas to dig into. At the same time, the issues around access and equity will continue to be front and center when rolling out new innovations in K-12. The relationships between parents, educators, and their communities will continue to roil as we look to climb out of the rut we've been forced into through the pandemic. Our collective awakening around issues of social justice and equity and the related backlash against cancel culture and culture wars will play out through our schools and how they're covered in the news. Beyond the news, we'll be looking at how education is portrayed in the popular media and how it evolves in our everyday lives. There's so much to talk about and I'm very happy to be joining you to share my perspective. Indeed, and we're happy to have you, Malcolm. And then Nancy, bring us home. What do you see on the horizon as we wrap up here in the fall of 2021 and we look ahead on the horizon into 2022? You know it may sound funny and a little bit played out in old school, but I'm excited for the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas in January. Hopefully things stay on a good trajectory with the COVID numbers and we'll continue to see new and emerging technology rolled out at events like CES. I'm excited to be here to look at the intersection between new and emerging technology, and learning experience and instructional design. It's such an exciting place to be. Yeah, CES, an oldie bit of goodie. We've been covering that since we started back in 2016. Still haven't ventured out there? Maybe 2022 is the time. If not, somewhere we'll be hitting the ground again in the world of conferences and cutting edge places where we can share ideas and engage in the conversation. Maybe it'll be at South by Southwest in March of 2022. But there's some hope, some measured hope with some cautious optimism as we head into what might be one more COVID winter. But you got to figure at some point we're going to come out of this and where will we be? How will we be changed and what will be new for us to interact with? We'll be covering all of this on Treading in Education. Hopefully you're enjoying what you're hearing, whether it's interviews with guests or conversations with our virtual co-hosts here. We're also hoping to bring back some of our regulars from over the years to get more voices and perspectives heard. Thanks as always for listening. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out at trendinginedd.com. There'll be information also about the rollout of our YouTube channel and other video assets. Follow us on Twitter at trendinginedd. Thanks as always for listening. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education. 